I'm telling you, if, you, if, if your album's 50 minutes long, it automatically sucks. 93X presents the Celebration Rock Podcast with Stephen Hyden. This is the Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. This week, we are going to be talking about our favorite rock records of 2017 so far. And when I say our, I mean me and I mean my guest, Dan Ozzy from Noisy Blog and the author of Tranny, the Laura Jane Grace memoir, which if, if you haven't read that book, you have to read that book. Phenomenal book about Laura Jane Grace from Against Me. Dan was the co-author on that. He did a great job. Uh, and I'm a fan of Dan. I've wanted to have him, have him on, on the podcast for a while, and I'm glad it finally worked out. Uh, we had a good time talking about some of our favorite albums of 2017. Um, if you're looking for music, looking for new records, this is going to be a good episode for you because we talk about a lot of good music. We talk about 10 albums total that we both really like. Uh, so I'm excited to get into that. Uh, before we do, I want to tell you about our sponsor or one of our sponsors for this week's episode, and it's our new friends at SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and uh, it's the easiest thing that I have found to help me shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can have the seats that I want. I actually just used SeatGeek to buy tickets to see Tom Petty last week. I think I talked about that last week. Uh, it was a great show. Loved it. Awesome time. And I was glad that I could have SeatGeek hook me up with the seats uh, that put me in a good spot. See American Girl and Breakdown and all those tunes. Um, SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. Now, because I know that there are a lot of concert goers out there in my audience, we have a special deal for you listeners. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code CELEBRATION today. That's promo code CELEBRATION, and you will get $20 off your next SeatGeek purchase. That's right. You're going to be buying tickets anyway. Why not download the app, get your $20 off, and you're going to be supporting the podcast at the same time. Again, just download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code CELEBRATION, and get your $20 off. Okay, so Dan Ozzy and I, we talked about our favorite records of uh, 2017. You know, I think it's been a pretty good year for music so far. I mean, this is something that Dan and I we, we'll get into in the conversation. It's always weird. I, you know, I always hate when people say it's a good year for music or it's a bad year for music. I mean, there's always good records out there. If you know where to look or you look hard enough, you can always find music uh, that you're going to enjoy. So the, the, the sort of broad proclamations I think are always kind of problematic. Um, but, you know, it it does seem like there's a lot of things up, 
on the horizon you know that are going to be coming out i know just this just this month you know later on in june you know there's a, a new jason isbell record um coming out and i actually wrote about that record on uprocks.com uh earlier this uh, actually that was last week i did a big interview with jason and uh definitely recommend that record that's going to be coming out june 16th uh, there's a new Fleet Foxes record that I think comes out the 16th as well. So those are two records I know just off the top of my head that are really good records. There's a there's a band called Roswell Kid that's coming out with a new record at the end of the month. Uh, and of course, later in the year, there's going to be new albums from The National, Arcade Fire, War on Drugs, Grizzly Bear. A lot of big indie bands that are going to be coming out with new records. But, you know, there's been a lot of good records that have already come out in 2017, and I had a good time talking with Dan about that. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's me and Dan talking about our favorite records of the year so far. So Dan, I'm I'm excited that you're on the podcast. I feel like I've been trying for a long time to get you on. And, and it's finally happened. It's finally happened. And um, I feel good. I, I feel especially good because I was reading recently that you are the Lester Bangs of the 21st century. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's a, a scary thing to get compared to because he died at 33, and I today have turned 34, so uh, I don't know what kind of comparison. Like, I want to take that as a positive, but also that's incredibly scary. Well, I think uh, it's in your face, Lester Banks, at this point. <laughs> it's like Dan Ozzy won, Lester Banks zero. You made it to 34, he didn't, so congratulations right. yeah, on that. I'm better than Lester Banks. You can <laughs> put that on my book or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so um, before we get into it, you know, we're going to be talking about our favorite records, our favorite rock records of, of 2017 so far. I know you have a podcast. That Have you already launched it or it's about to launch? I am hoping to launch it on the day that this episode airs, and by saying that, I hope that motivates me to stay on track and actually get it up. <laughs> um, you have yeah. to do it now because this, you know, once people hear this, this is like going out to millions of people, so yes. they're going to be expecting Dan Ozzy podcast content. Well, in that case, I will have a podcast <laughs> <laughs> called No Plus One that you can or hopefully can listen to, uh, which is sort of about music and uh, is music adjacent. Yeah, and you were telling me about this. It's like you and, and Dave Anthony, who, you, who he was the editor, the music editor at the AV Club. And you guys are, it's kind of like a theme thing, right? Like you're going to have different themes every week. Yeah, I mean, um, basically, you know, there are so many podcasts that are so good at doing the long-form interviews. Obviously, this is one of them. Uh, we didn't feel like we either needed to do that or needed to put our hats in the ring of being uh, hats. And I don't even know if that's a, that's not an expression, uh, <laughs> but we needed to, you know, try to find like a different way of approaching it. So what we're doing is we're doing like a serialized um, podcast. We're in for a month. We'll talk to four or five different guests, one episode uh, per guest. And we'll kind of try to cover a topic in music. And then after we feel like we've covered it, we've moved on. And that's sort of the premise of the podcast. Well, I think that sounds really interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to that. Of course, I think everyone who listens to this podcast, you shouldn't listen to any other music podcast. This should this should be the only one. But you know, I think it's cute that you're doing a podcast. So yeah, I just want to tell you that I think it's cute. It's very cute. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Listen to his podcast. This sounds really great. I'm going to listen oh, no, to I it. That was a sincere compliment. It is a cute podcast. It's very cute. My mom says it's cute. It's very cute, and also you should listen to it. The the part where I said don't listen to it was the part I was joking about. <laughs> The part where I say it's cute and adorable, 
is very mm-hmm. sincere. So I want to just pet it on the head. It's adorable. <laughs> and it's called No Plus Ones. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it'll be up the day that this posts. So you can listen to this podcast. And then after that, you can go check out No Plus Ones. Unless mm-hmm. Dan is totally lazy and doesn't get it up on time. <laughs> Unless I do a terrible job here of selling myself. I know. You, you, you set up this great promotional opportunity, and now you just have to follow through with the yeah, actual well, podcast. it's a lot of pressure. Okay, so here we are. You know, I wanted to have you on uh, to talk about our, our favorite records of 2017. Um, and you know, before we get into it, I'm just wondering, like, do you have any sort of general consensus takes on how the year's been so far? I mean... I always hate it when people say it's a good year for music or it's a bad mm-hmm. year for music because, you know, depending on where you look, there's always good stuff and there's mm-hmm. always bad stuff. It's not as if, like, there's a year that's devoid of good records or, or whatever. But, like, do you feel like there's any kind of general trends or anything that you're appreciating uh, in um, 2017? I've, I've been kind of, maybe it's just for a lack of searching out more good music, but I've been kind of disappointed so far this year, but I feel like I say that every year. And then the end of the year rolls around, and I'm looking at everything that came out, and I'm like, oh, actually, you know what? This is a pretty good year. Um, so I, I have actually not had a whole lot of stuff that I've been really excited about. But again, at the same time, I say that every year and then still find ways to amaze myself by the end. So uh, the jury is still out. Yeah. But so far, I've, I've had a limited group of things that I've, I've been into. You know, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I feel like... Um... Like the, we're each going to be talking about five records, and I, I really like the five records that I'm going to be talking about. Um, but it does feel like, you know, outside of maybe a couple things, there's not like a whole lot of just oh, this is an instant classic, or this mm-hmm. is like, right, I'm, I'm right, going right. to go. And a few, a few came out last year that it was just like, wow, this is, uh, you know, possibly future iconic. Right. Um, even outside the rock world, like I loved Beyonce's Lemonade. Like I remember watching it as it premiered uh, and just being like floored by it. And I was like, oh my God, like this is a thing that I'm going to remember where I was when I watched it. You know, right. I don't think anything's really hit me like that per se. Yeah. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. There's, there's definitely like a, not a lemonade or, you know, I'm trying to think of what, what I can't even remember what else even came out last uh, year. We had that, well, this again in the pop world, but we had that Rihanna record last year. Right. Uh, and then Solange had that, you know, it was like a big year for pop last year and I haven't been following pop too closely, but I, I just think in the rock world, um, that there hasn't been that much yet. Maybe, yeah. uh, maybe the, the back half of 2017 well, is going to like blow us all over. And when we have this, you know, deadline here, it's sort of like we're in the first week of June. I mean, there's, there's like a couple of things coming out just like in the second half of June that I think are really great. Like, there's a new Jason Isbell record that I think is great. There's the new Fleet Foxes that I like a lot. There's a couple other things. There's a Roswell Kid record coming out uh, at the end of June that I think is really good. Yeah, that's a great record. And, mm-hmm. and you know, if you're into indie rock, like a lot of the sort of like big flagship indie bands, the National, Arcade Fire, Grizzly Bear, all those sorts of groups, they're all putting out stuff later on LCD Sound System. There's a new War on Drugs record. So, like, if you're into that kind of stuff, there's a lot of that stuff on our, on the horizon, so it seems like maybe it's backloaded in the back half of the year. Um, yeah. But okay, okay. Well, now that we've said that the first half of the year kind of sucked, let's talk about <laughs> yeah, what we let's liked talk about, about it. What sucked so much, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about what sucked the least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. So, what for you? Like, let's start at the top here. Do you have like a number one record? Do you have like a record that's kind of that you feel like is head and shoulders above the rest, just in terms of like what you like the most? 
Um, well, as as anybody who follows the kind of bands that I cover will be not surprised to learn, I really liked the uh, the New Man Singers record, and that was something that I didn't really like on first listen. And what's that uh, album called, after, by the way, Dan? What's that? What's that album called, by the way? Uh, it's called uh, uh, After the Party. Yeah. See, this is podcast. Uh, etiquette here that I'm teaching you. Like when you when you say a record, <laughs> yeah. you gotta say what it's called. The Menzingers, 2017 <laughs> Epitaph Records release record. After the party. Oh, that's excellent um, rock critic language there. I love it. But uh, you know, I I, th- I couldn't figure out what it was that I didn't like on that record at first listen. I think it was a combination of things. One is that the single that they put out, which was actually last year. Um, was Lookers, which I think was one of the best songs that they've ever written. Yeah. And I kind of, it's, it's kind of a, almost a, a, a pitfall to release a really good single because you get people's expectations up so high. Um, and then, I don't know, I just wasn't like blown away with the, the new album, but then I was like seeing them live and re-listening to it. And then like one by one, the, the songs just stuck on me. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I like this. Like, it just, for some reason, didn't hit me all at once. But, like, one by one, I was like, this is a good song, this is a good song, this is a good song. I think I like this whole record now. Yeah, and it, the Menzingers, too, and for people who aren't familiar, Menzingers are a four-piece band from Philadelphia. They're this long-running punk group. I mean, they started making records in the mid-2000s, mid to late-2000s. And, you know, I think if you follow punk rock, the Menzingers are a pretty big band, but maybe if you're stuck in sort of the indie rock thing or, or, or you don't pay attention to the punk, you may not know who the Menzingers are, but they really are like one of the most consistent bands in that genre over the mm-hmm. past decade. And I think with them, and I love After the Party too, by the way, and it, what didn't make my top five, but it, it, it's up there for me. It's probably my top 10 or so. Um, mm-hmm. the, the thing with them too, with a band like that, is that sometimes your own catalog can be your worst enemy because they have record, you know, that record... You know, the impossible past you know the, t- yeah. the 2012 record which i think for a lot of people is maybe the record that got them into the band or they think is maybe their high point you know if you're going to compare subsequent records to that sometimes it feel it might feel underwhelming or something yeah um, i actually wrote an article about that just as i start my gradual descent into plugging my own stuff left and right <laughs> um i plug away man hey yep. if there's anything else you need to plug you know we have a podcast your stories <laughs> I'll drop it in there um, you wrote a book, I know. You, you can name drop that at some point. Yeah, if yeah. You need to. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I wrote an article about how I thought that the Menzingers and Japan Droids were in an interesting position this year because they both had these um, really like fan favorite albums come out of, uh, within a month of each other a few years ago. And then they both put out new records um, within, again, within like on the same day, I think this year. Um, and I just sort of explored that idea of like, how do you move past the one that everybody thinks is your best record? Well, it's hard. And and, and not only was it like a fan favorite, but like it's a record that has, it's more youthful. It's more sort of like a party record in Mm -hmm. in the case of both bands. And now they're making, you know, Japan droids and Menzingers. They're sort of in this like not elder statesman role, but they're making like the, we're, we're growing up, records you know like mm-hmm. we're, we're maturing which on first listener is never going to be as as fun or as sexy as the party record you know sure it, it is sort of by design something that you have to give time to and, and over time it deepens and then you, you grow to like it more but yeah you're you're right i mean it, 
you know, whether it's the Impossible Pass for the Menzingers or it's uh, Celebration Rock for Japan Droids, those they become these standards that everything else gets compared to, and 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 at some point too, you know, people wrap their own memories into those records, and it's there's so much history with those albums that anything else that comes after it can be really hard to compare to it. Yeah, you're asking your audience to grow with you, basically, and sometimes <laughs> they're ready to do something like that, and sometimes they're not. Yeah, but but I mean, but as you were saying, I mean. I, I, I do think that after the party, though, it, it is a record that I think it has a lot of the qualities that the other Menzingers records have. I mean, the songs are really catchy and like they're really good at like uh, sort of varying things up uh, where they'll have good ballads and they'll have good rockers and all that stuff. Um, but I mean, the thing with the Menzingers that I'm always attracted to, too, is like just the storytelling aspect of the lyrics. And uh, I feel like that's something that's that they continue to develop and. Yeah, they're I, great at it. Yeah, and I, I feel like it was, you know, again, like, it, I, I thought it was quite strong on, on After the Party. I, that, that's one thing I really responded to, just the attention to detail. And I, I, I know I, you know, I, I did a story on that, and um, I was talking to Barry, one of the main songwriters in the band, and he was talking about how he loves Bruce Springsteen. And you, you could see the influence of that in a lot of the songs that, that he wrote on the latest record, I think. You know, just sort of the cinematic quality of his lyrics. Uh, mm-hmm. He's really become good at that, I think. You talking about the uh, Japan Droids at this point? No, I'm talking about uh, Menzingers. Did I get his oh, okay. name wrong? Wait, who said that? Did I get his name wrong? I said Barry. Who's Greg? Greg. <laughs> Greg. <laughs> Greg Barry. Whatever. Yeah, sorry. Barry. If you're listening, I'm it's sorry. I, name. I call him Barry. Why did yeah, I call yeah. him Barry? Where did I get Barry from? Oh. I don't know, man. Anyway, Greg. I was talking with Greg, and he said that. So. Yeah, I could see some Springsteen influence. I mean, the last time I saw him, he was wearing a denim shirt. And, you know, like, <laughs> they're an American rock band, for sure. Like, no one's thinking that. Right. All right, so Menzingers After the Party, your favorite record so far. My favorite record so far, and listeners of this podcast will probably know what I'm going to say, because <laughs> uh, I've talked about this record a lot. I had him on my podcast. Uh, it's Pure Comedy by Father John Misty. And, you know, I've talked about this record before, why I like it. But I'm curious to get into this with you, because I know you're not a fan. No, no, that's not true. I just want to say for the record, I, I just have a, a shifting relationship, as many people do, with Father John Misty. And, and what is the nature of that, would you say? Well, I, I, really, I really liked um, Honey Bear, his, what was that, 2016 record? 15, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. I really liked that record, and... Um, uh, and especially that the the title track, I think, is just unbelievable. Um, but I was we're at, at Noisy, where I work, I was in such a minority. Like I had to fight for, you know, like Father John. I was standing for Father John. Um, <laughs> and like I, I liked his whole persona. And I know it's like separate the music from the persona. But like now, I feel like his persona is kind of started to eke me at this point to the point where I'm having a hard time enjoying his actual music yeah um and i know like you need to separate the two but sometimes like i feel like when you say father john misty to somebody they either uh roll their eyes or they like scratch their beards in an agreeing fashion you know right yeah there's not a lot of middle ground with him for sure Mm -hmm. there are people that uh you know can't stand him or there's people that think he's a genius and I have to say, I probably veer more to the other extreme, the the latter extreme. 
shocked to hear that. Yeah, exactly. Um, you're shocked to hear that from a 39-year-old man uh, with a beard. <laughs> right, uh, right. Likes I mean, his, you are his target demographic. Yeah, and exactly. And, you know, and I'll cop to that, and uh, I'll own it. And uh, if, that's the f- if that's the case, then it's very good marketing on his part because it's, 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 it's scored a bullseye. Um, well, maybe you can tell me a, a, about this new album, which I haven't delved into too much, because uh, I'll say that what I liked about um, Honey Bear was that um, what I, you know, like, I think people like Father John Misty because they're like, oh, I get him and you don't get him. Like, I get where he's coming from. Um, so when I was in that mindset uh, listening to I Love You, Honey Bear, even just that song to me is such a great example of like, he's talking about how he's such a misanthrope and he hates the world and he's so blase and over everything. And there's just like these like hundred layers of self-awareness and irony. But underneath that, there's just like this, song about how much he genuinely loves his wife which i thought was very sweet and sincere it's just like i liked his like i'm a white guy with a guitar i don't really have anything groundbreaking to say but like i do have feelings and emotions and i can write them well and i was just like oh see i love that um so that was what i really liked about that record and i haven't like given his new record as much of a chance so maybe you can tell me if it if it tends to steer in that direction or if it goes a different way. Well, I, what I'd say about pure comedy is this, is that there's sort of like a dual life that that record has had. And on one hand, it, there was how the record was talked about, you know, because he went on this press tour and he did a lot of interviews and he's a great interview. Whether you, you can't stand him or you love him, you can't deny that he like gives a good soundbite, you know, and that he's an entertaining guy uh, you know, to speak, you know, even if he's like annoying you, you know, it's pretty mm-hmm. entertaining. Um, and a lot of those stories were him talking about internet culture and music writing culture. Um, and there is this sort of like love-hate thing that a lot, of, a lot of music critics have with him in that I think at heart, in a way, he is a music critic. And he's so familiar with the conventions of music criticism that he can skewer it in a very specific, stinging way. Um, and there's some people that respond to that in the press, and there's some people who get really defensive about it. But that really informed how that record was talked about. So there's that version of the record, and maybe that's the record you've responded to or that, or that has gotten under your skin in a way. To me, the other record, the actual record, is a record that's not too far removed from I Love You, Honey Bear, in the sense that you know, it, it is talking about these big themes in the world and how you know, the world's in a terrible place and we're all doomed, mm-hmm. it, which you know, I will say that I am amenable to this point of view. I, I, I think it's a I think it's a pretty accurate assessment of the human race at the moment. So maybe that informs like why I like the record. But it has these big themes. But at heart, it is again a guy who um, I think has a lot of sincerity about uh, and a lot of empathy and a lot of uh, what's the word? I guess just. There's a lot of heart on the record. To me, it's a very mm-hmm. emotional record. I mean, I think people talk about sort of the intellectual components of it, and people feel like it comes up lacking in that regard. But to me, at heart, it's a it's an emotional experience. It you know, it, it's looking at things in kind of a cold, hard way, and having a real reaction to it. And that and that's something I responded to because I feel like a lot of music culture now, you know, a lot of what we talk about, it's so geared towards like this sort of escapist pop music, and. Um, to me, I just responded to a guy that seemed to be looking at the world and reacting to it in an honest way, even if it's overwrought at times, maybe to people or or whatever. But to me, it was like a real authentic emotional response. Um, mm-hmm. and it just really moved me. And the fact, too, that I think musically, 
he writes beautiful songs and he's a really good singer. And oh, like, for sure, yeah. Mu- musically, I, I think saw, it's a beautiful I saw record. Some debate online about the length of the record. Uh, right, it's, it's a super long record. It is a long record, but I was telling this to someone. You know, someone was saying like, "Well, it's it's seventy five minutes long. That I, then it's automatically bad." And I'm like, "Well, that's like two minutes longer than Blonde on Blonde is." Mm-hmm. So, like, if that is how you judge music, then you know, go on your way. I guess I would disagree with dismissing a record because it's too long. To me, I feel like every record should either be seventy five minutes or thirty minutes. If your record yeah, is forty five minutes, then your record's that. terrible. I, I have Honey Bear on vinyl, and I feel like it. I want to say it's a double LP, but I feel like it's more. I feel like it's like three LPs. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I often only get through the first LP. Right. Well, you yeah. know, those other two LPs are waiting for you in the future <laughs> yeah. if you want to listen to them. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick pause on our list here and uh, so I can tell you about our next sponsor for this week's episode, and that is our friends at Harry's. Uh, and uh, this is actually an opportune time to talk about Harry's because Father's Day is just around the corner, and dads are impossible to shop for. I'm sure you know this if you've ever shopped for your own dad or your father-in-law or your husband, it's difficult to find something that feels special that he'll actually use, something that he'll use every day. Well, Harry's is that product. Fortunately, our friends over at Harry's have a special offer that you're going to love and dad will too. You get $5 off one of their shave sets, including a limited edition Father's Day set if you go to harrys.com backslash rock. And uh, as someone who has used Harry's before, I have to say that uh, it is one of the finer razors I've ever used. And I'm one of those guys who has to shave every day because I'm a pretty hair suit man, to put it delicately. Uh, and with Harry's, I know that I'm going get, get to get a nice, clean shave at a fair price. And uh, this great Father's Day set is a good way to introduce good razors to the man in your life in a fun way, in a gift way. Shave sets start at just $15, not to mention the $5 off when you go to harrys.com backslash rock. You get a razor handle, a moisturizing shave gel, and three of Harry's five-blade precision-engineered razors. Harry's limited edition Father's Day shave set comes with a storm gray razor handle, chrome razor, razor stand, foaming shave gel, three replacement blades, and a travel cover. Plus, it comes in a sleek, giftable box with the option to add custom engraving and a personalized card for free. All you have to do is go to harrys.com backslash rock right now to redeem a special offer for fans of this show. Harry's will give you your $5 off one of their shave sets. This is for a limited time only, so act now. That's harrys.com backslash rock to get $5 off and help support the show. Okay, let's go back to our list. Well, let's talk about this record, because you gave me your list ahead of time, so I know what you're going to be talking about. I had it prepared. You had it prepared. For just such an occasion that someone would ask me to be on their podcast. Because <laughs> um, I want you to talk about this record, because then I'm going to talk about a record that I feel like is maybe a companion to this record, and we have diff- differing opinions here, so this could be interesting. Your next record is the Cloud Nothings record. Mm-hmm. Um, and What's that called again? Uh, oh, I'm so glad that you asked, because this is, again, <laughs> prepping me for my podcast. Goes, yes. uh, that's Life Without Sound. Yes, and um, we were talking about this this morning, because um, I saw it was on your list, and I was like, I really love the single from this uh, record, um, which I can't remember right now either. I'm blanking on everything. The the Enter Entirely, that song. I love that song. That's one of my favorite songs mm-hmm. of the year. 
the rest of the record fell a little flat for me. Like for me, like Cloud Nothings in a weird way, I compare them to Foo Fighters because I feel like Foo Fighters always have like one or two really great singles. And then the Hang rest on. of the record. <laughs> well, because well, I feel like in the 90s, well, you know, outside of the first two albums, but like I feel like they're always good to deliver like a couple really good singles and then the rest of the record's like solid. But like they make a great greatest hits album. Like they're that kind of band. No, see, I'll way. disagree with that. I'll, I'll disagree with that. I, there are many bands like that for me, yeah. um, but I genuinely enjoy listening to a Cloud Nothing album. Okay, well, because you said that this record kind of came alive for you when you heard it like on a loud stereo outside of... Yeah, it was weird. I, I had it on my, uh, you know, I had my headphones in, and sort of the same reaction I had to that Menzinger's record, I like played it through and just kind of didn't do anything, just kind of like went right through me. And I was like, oh, that was kind of a bummer because I really liked um, their 2012 record, Attack on Memory, so much as a record. Like, I put that record on all the time and just blast it. And I'll just listen to the whole thing through. I don't need to, like, listen to the singles for them. Um, yeah, and that's their but, color and the shape. To, con- to continue my Foo Fighters analogy, like, that is, like, their best top-to-bottom record for me. Attack oh, on for Memory, sure, yeah. But, but then, I don't know, like, something about uh, Life Without Sound, the new one, I just put it on the stereo and just like cranked it up. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh, this is so good. And again, I like the whole thing straight through. It's one of those records where I, you'll put the first song on like hit play. And then before you know it, it's over. Um, and you've listened to the, the whole way through and you're like, you know what? I'll listen to that one more time. That's fine. And then by the end of the day, you probably listen to the whole record four times over, you know, cause talking about what you were saying before about how, uh, you know, you can either have 75 minute records or 30 minute records. I think that's a pretty short record. Yeah, it is. And, and you are right. I mean, it does go by pretty fast. And, and by the way, for people that don't know, Cloud Nothings band from, uh, Cleveland, uh, led by a guy named Dylan Baldy. I mean, he's basically the main guy in the band and he's assembled a band around him. He sort of, he started making records on his own. Uh, like in the late 2000s and early into the early 2010s. Um, and, you know, they, they've really become like one of the more kind of reliable bands in this sort of wing of indie rock, this sort of more, I guess you would say, maybe 90s-derived kind of grungy, alt-rocky, punky-type rock. Yeah, like, I kind of get that. I, uh, but, you know, his hook writing is so good. Right. Like, I think that's what keeps me going is like... Um, you know, it's such a rare thing. I feel like, especially too, as you get older, just hearing, like having hooks just like really dig into your brain is like a little bit harder. Right. Um, but like, he's so good at writing these hooks that just like go over and over and over again in your head and just like, you can't get them out. And I actually like love when a record does that. Like I seek those out in life, you know, like just to just like, can't, can't get enough of a record. And this was one of those for me. Also another thing too, um, just about their like live set, you know, they are an incredibly loud band. Right. Um, and so like, while I do like hearing them on, on record, I, I also will make it a point to go see them. I remember like I saw them here in New York at the music hall of Williamsburg and the, I had to use the restroom and the restroom is like directly underneath where the stage is. And I remember being in a stall and it just like, vibrating to where it felt like you were in a, like an astro, like a, like a spaceship taking off. <laughs> and I was like, this is amazing. Like, this is like right above me is just like several thousand decibels of like, you know, just like bass. And, uh, so I really, I think they're a great live band and I think they're great on record too. And that's kind of a rarity sometimes. Yeah, totally. So that is one of your favorite records of the year, the cloud nothings record. My companion record to that 
is the Japan Droids record near to the wild heart of life. I can't wait to get into this. Yet. And it's funny because you had the same reaction to the Japan Droids record in a way that I had to the Cloud Nothings record. Because I remember, again, I heard Enter Entirely, uh, which I think was the first single from Cloud Nothings. And I thought, man, this is like one of their best songs ever. This is record's mm-hmm. going to be great. And then I heard the record and I thought it was all right, but it didn't really grab me that much. And then you, like for uh, the, the Japan Droids record, their first single comes out and you love it. And you feel like the rest of the record doesn't live up to that. Yeah, it kind of it kind of had the same thing that that Menzinger's record had for me, where they released a um, a single, and I think they both, I think they both released them at the end of last year, right? I could be wrong about that. Yeah, but yeah, it was like I think November, I think, for December, and yeah. same thing. Like I remember hearing "Near to the Wild Heart of Life," um, the song, and just being like, "This is one of the best Japan Droid songs they've ever written." Like if the whole album sounds like this this will be great. But it wasn't. Like, I feel like it was almost like, not a trick, but like, I feel like they were giving you something familiar and then kind of changing the course once you heard the whole album. Like, I don't think the rest of the album sounds like that song at all. No, I mean, there's really only like a couple other songs that have that sound, which is really, it, it sounds like uh, Celebration Rock, basically. I mean, it, it, it's that kind of classic thing. And then you have other songs like Ark of Bar, which is like the seven minute song, which seems like a polarizing song. And I don't know why, because I think that song's amazing. It sounds like Japan Droids being the who, which is, mm-hmm. which, which is exactly up my alley. Like mm-hmm. Japan Droids doing Bob O'Reilly, you know, sign me up. That sounds awesome. And I think they pulled it off great. That song also sounds incredible live. Like I saw Japan Droids um, near the beginning of like their tour for this record and uh, on Valentine's Day of all days. And um, it was a phenomenal show. Like, I, I loved it. I thought the new songs were integrated really well. To me, the record um, is a necessary progression because I think if they would have made another record like Celebration Rock, especially after five years away, it would have fallen flat. I think people would have been bored. I think there's only so far you can go with that template of that record. And to me, this was a record that introduced just enough sonic differentiation where it felt like something new and different but it had the flavor of their classic material so it was exactly what i wanted from the record but you feel like yeah. they maybe went too far I, I, too far for me like maybe i like their next record then um <laughs> but if this is sort of like a segue record i don't know how i feel about it right Right. I mean, I, don't they, know. I mean, do you, you know, another thing with Japan droids that I find when I talk to people who aren't into them is that they get kind of worn out by sort of the, uh, I guess the, the spirit of the band or, you know, the sort, cause they are very like, you know, I mean, to bring up Springsteen again, they, they do kind of have that like, you know, you know, fist pumping, maybe slightly broish type quality to, mm-hmm. to their music and it can turn people off like you know that it just may be like a little bit too like up with people maybe with people for some people or whatever yeah, but also that's such a that's such a broad thing that doesn't matter in the context of being an actual fan like i, I right. got to see them um they did a couple of shows in new york they did two in a row at the knitting factory right before the album came out and it was an undersell that that venue probably holds like 300 350 people and they can play to you know probably 2,500 people here in New York. So that was like a big undersell. It was just kind of like, not a secret show, but, you know, just like a more private show. And, uh, I mean, like, there's 
no room for anybody that has that kind of opinion. Where it's just like, eh, I'm kind of a, eh, kind of not into house or pandroids or eh, like <laughs> a party band. Like everybody there is just like super gung ho. The energy is awesome, and like it was just like the best time because you've got 300 people who are who are just like the most psyched in the world, and then myself included. So none of that matters. None of the whole like naysayers matter in the context of like experiencing them. Right. Well, that's good, man. I again, I love the record. I love seeing them live. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorite albums of the year, and I hope you come around on it eventually. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give Cloud Nothings another try because I do like their records. Um, and what a sacrilege! I just experienced. Like I just, I just came on a podcast named after a Japan Droids <laughs> album. <laughs> it's okay For though. The record, I don't not like the album. I'll, I'll sit and listen to it, but I think it's uh, like it's not. It doesn't it's not a home run for me? How's that? You hate the record. You're on the record just saying that you hate. <laughs> I burned my copy. You hate yeah, Japan yeah. Droids, and uh, we should move on from there. Um, so, like, f- f- let's move on. I'm gonna bring up a record here that I like a lot on your list that uh, I might have put on my list if it wasn't on your list. I just wanted to maybe bring in something else since I knew you, you were gonna talk about it. It's the Charlie Bliss record. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what is that record called? Oh, good question. Uh, Guppy? Guppy. And this is a record I feel like, um, I mean, a lot of people have already gotten into it. You know, I mean, the reviews were really good, but I feel like this, my feeling is that this is going to be like one of those uh, sort of underdog records or like records that people are going to keep talking about because they're going to want to take this record under their wing. It kind of has that lovability to it. I definitely found out about it just by word of mouth. Like I just kept seeing so many people talking about it. So I was like, all right, well, let me give this a shot. And um, and it's a, it's a weird, if, if you've never heard them there, I think they describe themselves as something like bubble bubble grunge or something like that. <laughs> right. I think it's a pretty good description. But, you know, they're sort of a grungy rock band, but I could see people having one of two reactions when you hear it. Either like, oh, yeah, like this, this is uh, very unique and I like it. Or just like having a very visceral reaction to it, the way people do when they hear like Joanna Newsom or something like that, because the singer's voice, and I, I'm sorry, I don't know her name, which is terrible, um, is very, very specific. Like it's very high pitched. Right. Um, and sort of like saccharine too, you know? And so it might be like an acquired taste for some people. Um, but if you can kind of get over that, it's fun. Like it's a good record. Yeah. I was, I was in that camp for sure on Charlie Bliss. The first time I heard it, I was like, man, the vocals here are pretty squeaky. They're, and, they're intense. Yeah. And very chirpy and kind of, you know, super excited. But, um, it's one of those records where like, you kind of feel like an asshole if you aren't joining the party at some point, if you're like, Oh man, I can't stand this voice. It's like, there's so much fun happening on the record. It's like, are you going to just grouse about this? Or are you going to like get in there and and enjoy what's happening? And eventually well, I'm I just glad got over be it. an asshole about records that people are super into. Like, there's a lot oh. of bands when I see it get super hyped, and I'll listen to it, and I'm like, guys, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't mean like other people. I just mean like the record itself. Like, the record itself mm. is so infectious that like mm-hmm. any of these sort of initial qualms I had about it, like, I, I it just won me over just because the songwriting is really good, um, and you know, it, it it has again, like, I mean, this is sort of a theme, I think not just on our list, but like with a lot of, you know, sort of of the big punk and indie records that have come out this year is that there's a real sort of strain of like mid nineties radio rock on this record. Mm -hmm. You know, Charlie Bliss in a way, they sound like a band that 
could have been supporting No Doubt in like 1995 sure. yeah. or 1996. Like, lush, like even farther back, you know? Right. Like they could have been on the tour, a tour with those bands and, you know, and, and releasing records like on, on Caroline or something or, you know, rec- like record labels like that uh, back in the 90s. Um, and uh, it's just, yeah, it, I think especially like the timing of that record, I think it came out in the spring. You know, it's just a really great springtime into summer record. Um so yeah, that was. There's also like just some like you know, and it's funny because as music writers, we're supposed to like have words for these kinds of things. But sometimes there's just like something magic going on that you can't really put your finger on, you know. And uh, there's a song if you're looking to get into the record uh, that I might suggest, or I might just suggest if you listen to the record stick all the way through because my favorite song is actually the last song, that song Julia. And there's this like really like incredible thing that happens in it where like. It, the sound drops out and it's just her voice like kind of crescendoing and the, the the bottom drops out and she's singing and it's got this like like you can just feel the air like get sucked out of the sound you know it's such a it's such a, like a powerful cool thing um so yeah I, my recommendation would be if you do give it a shot like try to hear it all the way through yeah and again this is like a, a half hour record too. Yeah, I mean, this, which I love. I think you know what I think. I'm on the I'm on the side of like I, I want records to be 30 minutes. Very few artists should be able to pull off the 72 minute record. You know. Well, I love 30. Again, this was this was my rule. I think your record should either be 30 minutes or it should be 75 minutes. If your record's mm-hmm. 50 minutes, it's terrible. But you should either be really short and concise, or you should be really expansive and you know mind blowing. If you're but just we sort should of, ha- we should hold the 75 minute records to higher scrutiny. <laughs> because if they're making us listen for over an hour, they better have something to say, you know. Well, you know, again, though, I, I, to me, the the longer records, they tend to be more excessive, more ambitious. You know, there, there tends to be more insanity involved in records like that, and I, I, I tend to be a sucker for that. Like, I love double albums. I love big, sort of ambitious statements that may be ill advised on some level, but like, you know, they're driven by sort of a an intense personal vision. So I'm I'm a sucker for that, but I'm also a sucker for like. We wrote 10 perfect pop songs that are each three minutes long. You know, there's, there's a couple, uh, couple verses, a couple choruses, one great guitar solo, and that's it. You know, so that extreme I love too. So, but, if you're in the, but if you're in the middle, you're just sort of like namby-pamby, you know, 13 songs and whatever, get out of here. Your, mm-hmm. your, your record automatically sucks. I'm telling you, if, you, if, you're, if your album's 50 minutes long, it automatically sucks. I think that's the mm-hmm. rule. I'm going to come up with a list, and I will... <laughs> Send them to you of good, good midway records. I, no, I'm sure that I'm sure that, that there's no good 50 minute record ever in the history of. All right, of listeners, <laughs> you heard an open challenge here. Yeah. All right, guys, one more break here, and we're going to want to talk about our last sponsor for this week's episode, and that is Blue Apron. Now, Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron achieves this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. Why do they do this? Well, because cooking together builds strong family bonds, and research shows that Blue Apron families cook nearly three times more often. Those who spend a lot at restaurants or at a high-end grocery chain can now spend under $10 per person for a delicious meal. And by the way, the ingredients that you're going to be getting from Blue Apron... They come from over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers from across the United States. So it's really good 
fresh food. Now, what are some of the meals that you're going to be getting from Blue Apron? Some of the upcoming meals include warm smoked trout and asparagus salad, spiced zucchini enchiladas, elote-style vegetable tostadas, and peach honey glazed chicken. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing this stuff right because it sounds so fancy, but like, I know it's tasty. And really, are you going to be making elote-style vegetable tostadas on your own? I don't think so. So my suggestion is that you take advantage of this great deal that we're going to be offering to Celebration Rock listeners. You can check out this week's menu and get the first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com celebration. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com celebration. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right. Here's the rest of my list with Dan Ozzy. My next record, I'm going to talk about a band that I saw last night. Um, Go on. And uh, they were terrific. I'd never seen them live before. It's a band called Girl Pool. Band from Los Angeles. Two-person band. Um, and although now they're touring with, because typically it's just a guitar player and a bass player, but now they're touring with another guitar player and a drummer because the, the record that they put out this year, which is called Power Plant, it's a more beefed up record. Like the, their previous, they, they put out an EP and they put out a, a full length album in, in 2015. And those records are sort of folky with sort of like a folk punk type thing going on in those records. Um, but the latest record really has this sort of beautiful, big sound. It kind of reminded me, it kind of reminds me of like a built to spill type thing, like, mm-hmm. a, like a late 90s type thing where, especially for Girl Pool, it, it, it is almost like, I don't want to say orchestral, but it has like a kind of like a, a, a lusher kind of beautiful guitar sound. And, and, and just the, the, the vocals that go on between the, the two women in that band, it's like, I don't know if, if they can be described as harmonies because they're not necessarily harmonizing. It's sort, of, it's sort of like they're singing at the same time. Um, but it's a beautiful sound. It's, it, it's like this combination of like really great craft in the songwriting and yet the way that they play it, it kind of has this charming amateurish quality to it. Yeah, it definitely has that. And although I think on the, on the latest record, there's less of that. And they've moved more, I think, towards just making really great guitar jams. And again, this record's about a half hour long, so another short record. But, you know, even when they're writing like a 90-minute song, or sorry, a 90-second song. Um, a 90-minute song from Girl Pool. <laughs> See, I would love a 90-minute song. If there's a band out there, yeah. write a 90-minute song, I will give it a good review. Um, but no, a 90-second song, um, you know, there's a fullness to it. It, it, it doesn't feel incomplete. Um, and... When I saw them last night, I thought it was—I thought it was great. They're, mm-hmm. they're a great band. They sound more powerful than you would expect them to. I think from their records, um, you know, I think sometimes maybe they get dismissed as twee. Even like I think people that are into it maybe would call them twee. Um, well, it's the same thing we were talking about, kind of with Charlie Bliss, where it's got this very specific quality that's on the high end of it, and you can kind of go either of two ways when you hear it. Yeah. Oh um, yeah, I don't. I, I remember hearing their 2015 like the EP, and like just being. We were talking about going either way. I remember just being right on the fence, where yeah. I'm like, I don't know, like, I I could like this, but also like get a drummer and also you know like I just wasn't sold. But I guess I should catch up on this record because like some of my problems that I had with it sounds like maybe they've since been resolved. 
on this new record. Well, let me tell you something, Dan. They took your find a drummer advice because they have a drummer on this record. So maybe you put something in their in their like suggestions box. But if yeah, you did, it was they... just putting out into the world like that karmic energy that they heeded, and I'm so glad to to hear that they took my my career advice. They're like, but yeah, I'll give it a listen. Like, I, this I, is the editor of Noisy. That I definitely liked about their earlier stuff. Yeah. Um, but then there were things that like really put me off too. So like, okay, if they've if they've made some adjustments, I'm I'm down to give them a second chance. <laughs> I, I I strongly recommend it. I think I, I I really like it a lot. And after seeing them live last night, I'm like, you know, I, I was already on the train. But I have now upgraded to a higher seating class on the train. Right, they so, for sure seem like they would be better live than on record. Like even this, even just in like YouTube videos of I've watched of them playing, I, I enjoy that more than just like sitting and listening to their like studio songs. See, but I think Power Plant, I really think you would get into this record because it because okay. the, the, I mean the the gap between like the record and the live sound, on this record is a lot smaller. Like you could just tell that on Power Plant. They put a premium on sort of sounding bigger and more powerful, and I think with a band like that, that could have gone either way. It could have kind of it, it could have ruined what was charming about them initially, um, but I think it retained that and it added some oomph to their music that was mm-hmm. really positive. So go check that one out. I think you'll I think you'll dig it. Um, so let's talk about okay. Speaking of duos, let's talk about a record that was like weirdly controversial in the first okay. half of 2017 and that's the diet sig rec- record and um you're a big fan of this record some people were not a big fan of this record and it kind of caused i mean i don't even know if it's controversial i mean i feel like this is sort of like a tempest in a teapot there's probably very few people that even know what we're talking about but right um, that's, that's always the thing to remember it's if it doesn't pass the real person test you know like <laughs> if it's just like something that lives on music twitter you know like it's not really I don't really think it has a real-world effect on the band. In fact, I'll just say that um, this record on the, uh, which is called, swear I'm good at this, um, (laughs) when it came out a couple weeks ago, I went to see them that night in New York at the record release show, and that was the day that 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 morning, what you're talking about is they got this like very bad uh, pitchfork review which was like personally mean in a lot of ways, right? I, I just kind of skimmed it, but it seems like personally mean. I don't, I, you know, I thought the review was in bounds. I, I feel like what we're, you know, and, and this is another issue. I don't want to pin this too much on this specific band, but you know, there is this strain of music writing where it's reviewing sort of the intentions of the artist as much as the music. Right. And it's like talking about, you know, issues of identity and, and who a person is. And, um, a lot of times when people write about that, they're using it to praise the artist. They're saying like, well, this person talks about social issues in their music. So then, so that means that they are a good person and ergo their music is good. And I think in that pitchfork review, it was turned around a little bit where, you know, I don't want to put words in the mouth of the writer, but it seemed to be taking issue with maybe some of those things overshadowing the music. And, well, yeah, and the I estimation of the writer that the music like, didn't carry the way. Etsy store, like the singer's Etsy store. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like, but okay. But back to what I was saying, I will say this, like I, in the span of that week, I met that band for the first time and they were like, so, and especially Alex, the singer, um, just the most energetic, like comically energetic. Like we, you know, we just, remember that cartoon where there was that like tiny coons girl who would just like have the most energy and just like, strangle her father with her just <laughs> overwhelming energy. She is that, but like she's just like, 
And this was like 11 in the morning, and she came into my office. And she, I was like, can I get you anything? And she was like, oh, can I have a coffee? And I was like, I kind of don't want to give you a coffee. Like, I, like you are just <laughs> caffeine incarnate. You know, like, I don't want to do that. Um, but so, like, that's, that's the, like, endless positivity and enthusiasm that this, brand, that this band brings. And so, like, later that week, they got that awful pitchfork review. And I was like, oh, that's really harsh. I hope they're not personally bothered by it. You know, like, I hope that doesn't, like, visibly bother them. And I saw them later that night, the night that it came out. And they took the stage, and she, like, biggest smile on her face like could not be more happy to like be celebrating in this album and i was like you know what it doesn't matter like that i i think that's something that i'll just wash off like they have so many fans that just love them that like i don't think a bad review is just it's just going to wash off their back basically and i mean you know look bad reviews are hard to take for anybody but i mean i think one reason why that review stood out and i don't want to just talk about this review because we should talk about the record, but I mean, I, I think that review stood up because it's so rare now for bands to get negative reviews, like especially if, unless you're like Ed Sheeran or something, mm-hmm. and it's sort of safe to take a shot at you. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's not a big deal. It shouldn't be a big deal that they got a negative review from Pitchfork, you know? I, and also, like, her, their, their fans, and it's funny because I would consider myself a fan, but I'm a man in my 30s, but like most of their fans are like young uh particularly women or, or femme identifying people. And like, I don't think they even read Pitchfork. I think they're reading like rookie or just like Tumblr. And, you know, like, I don't think that they care about Pitchfork. So it existed like outside their world, really. Why did you, why, why do you like the record? Uh, I just like it because, and again, like a lot of the themes that they're like singing about don't even necessarily apply to me. Like, you know, like Alex, the singer, I think she's 21. And like, I don't, have that much in common with a 21 year old woman you know but there's something about like the simplicity of it it's again it's like you said it's a two-piece it's really a simple record but it sounds very full i like their positivity like i buy into it um and then but it's sort of self-deprecating which is always the way to my heart uh there's a (laughs) line on it that says something like i want to be the best but i don't want to get out of bed and I'm like, ah, oh, what a good line. Like, yes, <laughs> you have all these aspirations, but at the same time, like, sleeping in is so awesome, you know? Um, so, yeah, there's things that I totally, like, will hear on that record. I'm like, oh, this isn't for me. This is for, like, a teenage girl or female-identifying, like, person. But also, like, I just, on a sonic level, I just enjoy it. Yeah. Well, from hearing you talk about it, you make me want to give it another chance. Like, when I heard it, when I heard it, it was sort of in one ear out the other. Like, it seemed, mm-hmm. it seemed fine. But it didn't seem exceptional. Like the the whole like hubbub about the about the record seemed kind of it blew my mind just in the sense that I didn't the record didn't seem exceptional to me either as good or bad. So mm-hmm. I, I was sort of like, why are people upset about this record? But um, hearing you You're talk about yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, hearing you talk about it makes me want to give another chance. So I think I yeah. will. Yeah, and also too, the, the 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 live element of them adds so much. And like, I remember watching them and like just watching Alex the singer. And again, she's like 21. She's got like boundless energy. She's like got a cool style about her. And I'm watching like all these people be like way into her. And I'm like, she's gonna be famous. Like this woman is going to be famous. Like this band has the potential to be gigantic. You know, and I, I feel like this beginning is such a, like, humble start that we're going to look back on and be like, can you believe when Diet Sig was just this, like, you know, band getting shit on by, by a pitchfork? <laughs> well, speaking of bands that 
I think that we think are sort of set that are going to go on to bigger things very soon. I want to talk about my next favorite record, uh, and that is Capacity by the Brooklyn band Big Thief. And I'm cheating slightly with this because this record isn't out yet. It's going to be out later this week on June 9th. But we're doing the pod this week, so I sort of roped it in to my list because it really and is... we're very important influencers, and we get the records before anybody else. Before well, I didn't want to say it in those words, but, you know, no, it's no. the fact. But that's what uh, we're getting at. We yeah. are better than people listening to the podcast. Sure, go exactly. on. Exactly. You know, this, I was trying to be more subtle with that, but mm-hmm. if you want to mm-hmm. spell it out, no that's point. fine. No point. They, um, these people, they don't understand subtlety. They don't get it. <laughs> you know, not like us famous people. Uh, anyway, but no, I, I should actually check my inbox to see if I have that record on because I haven't listened to it yet. Oh, it's it, it's great, and you know, Big Thief was a band that uh, you know I started hearing about last year. I, I put their first record, Masterpiece, on my top ten list for 2016. It was my number five record that year, and um, I thought Masterpiece w- was a great record. It you know, Big Thief. You know, I guess if you had to reduce them down, they are sort of, I guess, a singer-songwriter-generated band. It's the you know, the lead singer is this woman named Adrienne Linker. She's 25, and the project is definitely geared around her her perspective and her songs. Um, although one of the things I really liked about Masterpiece is that I felt like the band had a real sort of chemistry. It it kind of sounded like, you know, just this group that had recently gotten together and was playing in a room together. Like it had a very kind of simple straightforward appeal to it in that way and yet it also had these songs uh by linker that i think are really sophisticated uh in ter- musically and also lyrically uh, had a lot going on um but all the strengths of masterpiece i think are really expanded upon in a real way on the next co- on, on the next record capacity um you know like the the first record is pretty much you know straight indie rock um but this next record, I mean, the, she's, they're pulling from all sorts of things. There's psychedelic uh, elements. There's krautrock elements. There's like 70s singer-songwriter pop. Um, they just released a single called Mary, which uh, is this extraordinary song. It kind of reminds me of like um, like the olive oil song from Popeye, you know, the one uh, that, Shelley, that, song. that Shelley Duvall sings. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of that song. It kind of had like... Uh, like this kind of almost show tune quality to it. It was really, it's a really beautiful song. Um, I actually have a story coming out about Big Thief later this week, so I might save some of my comments for that story. But um, I don't know. I just, th- I just think it's a totally beguiling record by a band and an artist that I, I'm really excited about. Like I, I, I just think that she's already writing great songs, but you can see how rapidly she's evolving. Mm-hmm. I just feel like, man, like in five years, she's going to be making really great records. I mean, she's already making great records, but like you, you just see the progress uh, the, you know, that's just exploding already. So I'm very excited about Big Thief. This is like the band that, and I don't know, I, I feel like every critic has this, but everyone has like a band or two that is maybe relatively unknown that whenever you see someone, you're like, you got to check this band out. This band is so mm-hmm. good. And Big Thief, selling it. And, and Big Thief for me is, has been that band. And I, I find that when I tell people about them and they check them out, like they win converts pretty easily. There mm-hmm. just seems to be a band that people are getting into. So I, I would expect that uh, when this album drops and people start talking about it, that it's going to be one of those records that really kind of has a momentum to it uh, what, going throughout uh, what the year. What uh, Saddle Creek. At least I, 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 think, uh-huh. I think the first record was Saddle Creek. I don't know if, what label the next one is on. 
Interesting. It might be the same record label, but and it may not even be Settle Creek. I think it's Settle Creek. Don't quote me on that. Okay. See, see, now you're teaching me. The teacher becomes the student mm. in this regard because I did not know the, the record label. But uh, someone will tweet it at me and, and admonish me for getting it wrong, and that's fine. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, so, okay, we each have one record left. And um, because I'm a good host, I'm going to have you go first. This is a record that actually I could have put in my top five. I almost did, but I knew you were going to be talking about it. This is another instance of that. So I'm going to let you talk about it. This is, this is White Reaper, the next great American. And the record is the, the world's best American rock band. Yeah, is the name which of the is record. a title that you don't forget. You know, exactly. like some of the other ones, I was like, uh, what was that one? But the world's best American band is not like a really forgettable title. Um, but I don't, you know what? This year has been like a full of a lot of records that to me are like flings, you know, like a summer fling. You know, maybe you'll get really into it for like a, a few months and then next year you'll have completely forgotten about it. This feels like maybe that'll be like that for me. Um, like maybe next year I'll revisit this and it won't have the same like residence, but right now I love it. Um, they are a band who, uh, and they're on polyvinyl and I would describe, I describe them to people as like an indie rock band trying to be thin Lizzy or something like that. You know, they have these like, um, palette, uh, you know, like ballad rock power party i don't even know how to describe it it's basically like picture a band on polyvinyl records that they just like worship at the altar of sin lizzie um so like really catchy really bratty sounding vocals um and i just yeah it's just a fun record it's just a really fun record and when you take into the context of it of the of the positioning of it like the world's best american rock band you know it's kind of like tongue-in-cheek and it's just fun in that regard Right. Well, and it's what's funny is that it, in a way it's not tongue in cheek because I I interviewed uh, Tony Esposito who's the lead singer of White Reaper and you know the first question I asked was like okay what's up with the album title and he's mm-hmm. like well we think we are the best American rock band and I asked well, like well who are your role models and he and he said you know Kiss Muhammad Ali and Joe Walsh from the Eagles that makes so much sense that means, yeah. And I, I didn't, I didn't write about them or interview them, but I, I edited a piece on them. And the same question, I'm sure that question is going to come up in every interview they do. <laughs> right. Um, but same answer. It was just like, well, do you think you're the best band? And it was just like, well, if you want to be the best band, you have to start by saying that you are. Right. You exactly. Know? And it was like, hmm, that is, is so. Okay. Fair enough. I don't know how tongue in cheek it is. Um, but regardless, I think that the product is not affected by their intention. Right. And, you know, we've talked a lot about sort of, you know, all these like mature punk rock records, like the Menzingers record and the J- the Japan Joys record, where it's sort of about like growing out of your party phase and facing adulthood and all that. This all is not there yet. This is not there yet. This is like if you if you want a record like Celebration Rock, you know, like if you wish Japan Joys were still making records like that, then this is the record for you. Like yeah. this White if Reaper you're, record. If you're stuck in Arrested Development like me. Right. And I remember like when I interviewed Tony, I, you know, I asked him this very think PC type question about like the state of rock and like, how do you feel about like where rock music is at this point? Like, what does rock music even mean? Like, what does that mean to you? And his answer was, well, rock music just means you play dope riffs and you have fun with your friends. I think that's the best answer you could possibly come up with. It it just totally, it was brilliant because like, I I think I asked my, my question was like, it looked like a big, you know, bold lettered 
block of text and then his answer was like one sentence long like it was like the mm-hmm. perfect undercutting of like the stuffy music critic answering asking a think pc question and answering i don't want to i don't want to build a caricature of the band that might not be accurate since i've never spoken to them and they are possibly listening to the podcast but i want to say this in a very loving way they seem like dummies <laughs> like <laughs> they seem just like guys who make good rock music and they're not really even sure why. And I love that. Like I love how not overthought it is. Like so much of the stuff, like we're talking about this father John Misty record, which is such a like heady thing to debate whether, you know, his, his sincerity of it and how much he, like white reaper is the opposite of that. Where it's just like, Oh, they understand riffs. And that's basically all they needed to know to make this record. And I, I adore that. I think it's refreshing and I think it like sheds a lot of the just, uh, just baggage that comes with talking about rock, you know, it's just right. fun, which is what rock should be. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely think that, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say dumb. I would say maybe, <laughs> maybe anti-intellectual would, would okay. be maybe the I'd nice way to a, put that. I'd say in a very loving way. I but, just want to be clear about that. <laughs> right. I mean, I, you know, cause, you know, cause again, they, they, they are a band, I think that would resist any type of think piece treatment, any type of like, you know, like if you tried to group them into a movement or, or try to say that they have any kind of larger significance, I think they would resist that. I think they'd be like, you know, they'd be like the Jeff Spicoli type thing. Like, you know, yeah. hey, bud, let's and party. And I think that's the best I, thing. Like all, all the best bands throughout rock history have had the similarity that they all thought that they were the only band in the world. Like, <laughs> I think that's the best way to approach when you're in a band. Right. You're like, I, we're, the, we're the best band, we're the only band, and everybody, everybody else sucks. Yeah, and, and, and not, I, it kind of gives off that vibe, and I think that's cool, you no, know? And nothing else that is happening in the rest of the world matters, because we're just, we're, yeah. we're dudes mm-hmm. in we a room. We don't care about trends. Right, exactly. We don't care about, you know, like, just... We don't and, care about and, relevance and it, still. Like, we don't we don't want to be relevant. We're just going to be relevant right. in our not own way. Right, not thinking of, like, a long-term career. Yeah. Just thinking about right now, like, we're going to play rock jams, and that's so refreshing. <laughs> right. Well, uh Let's wrap up here with my last record, and this is, you know, in a way, I guess, the opposite of the White Reaper, uh, the White Reaper record, because it's a record by like a an old veteran, at least in this group, he, he'd be a veteran, and that and that's the Craig Finn record. Uh, we all want the same things, and this is this has been a record that um, it's interesting because like I'm a big Hold Steady fan, and um, I've been following Craig Finn's solo career, and I've I've liked things here and there, but you know, he hasn't really done anything to approach his peaks with the hold steady, I think until this record, um, mm. this is a quite strong record. And I think what makes it strong is that he's found a way to exist musically outside of the hold steady where he's not sounding like the hold steady, but he can still make rock music that has a similar type of, that can make you feel a similar kind of way. I mean, I think like if you listen to his first two records, like his, his first record, um, which is called uh, "Clear Eyes Full Clear Eyes Full Hearts" or something like that. It's like a it's it's a play on the uh, uh, Friday, Friday Night, Night Lights thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a very much like a, a, a straight down the line singer songwriter record, and he made that in Austin, and it kind of has like a like a Southwest feel to it in a way. And then he puts out his next record, "Faith in the Future," which is this sort of experimental pop record in a lot of ways. Or you know, there's there's a lot of things going on in the production, and then this record. It retains some of what he did on Faith in the Future, but it just has more of like a rock feel to it, and it it doesn't feel quite as forced maybe as some of the m- moments on Faith in the Future. 
And musically, it's very satisfying in that way. And combined with, I think, him finding ways to write songs where... Because I, I think the other thing with, with Craig Finn is that he was so good on those early Hold Steady records about writing about a certain milieu, like a certain time of life, part of the country. You know, he had characters that he was writing about. And he's kind of tried to find a new world that he could write in with mixed success. And I think this is the first time that he's been able to write about a more adult-oriented world in a way that's as vivid as those early Hold Steady records. So I think it's just a combination of like finding a, like a lyrical milieu that he could work in and a musical voice. It all comes together on this record. And, and um, I have to say, like, it, it, I, I don't want to call it a pleasant surprise, but like, I ended up liking it, I think, much more than I expected. And, it, and it's become one of those records, you know, you talked about fling records. This is a record that I've listened to pretty consistently since it's come out. And mm-hmm. I expect it to kind of maintain that position. Um, Do you, when you're getting, uh, like, when you're, when you're, getting a, a solo record from a guy who was in a not only like in a celebrated rock band like that but also one that has a sort of not stereotype but like you know there are themes to the whole study that I think people could point out and be like yeah uh, like almost like you could make a mock hold steady lyric because it's so familiar to people you know yeah um, do you, so when you're getting a solo record from somebody are you looking for like I want a stripped down version of that, or I want somebody to take the essence of what that band's songwriting was and put it into like a, a simpler platform. You know, like what do you want out of that? Well, I mean, I feel like even in the hold steady, like they kind of, you know, they had like those first four records I think are great. And then, um, it starts to run out of steam a little bit. And I think ever since maybe that fifth hold steady record, Craig Finn as a songwriter has been maybe trying to find, like a new avenue that he could plug into with mm-hmm. his songs. I think that there was, you know, there's a certain kind of old steady song that he perfected around the time of stay positive. And after that, it started to feel a little like diminishing returns. And I think with this record, it really feels like a turning point for him because I feel like he was able to write in the same kind of novelistic detail that like people who love those early hold steady records love, but it's like a different world you know, and with different kinds of characters. Like there's that song God in Chicago on the new record where, um, you know, he's talking about this drug deal, which is a a very Craig Finn type thing to talk about, but it doesn't feel like a song that would have appeared on an early Hold Steady record. It doesn't feel like a reject or something from that time. It feels like something different and and new, and it's set in a different type of world. I I don't know, like when I describe it as, what's a Craig Finn song about a drug deal? I know it's like, People are like, well, how is that different? <laughs> it just sounds like a Craig Finn song. But I, I really think that if you hear that song, um, I don't know. There's like, it, just musically, there's like a hymn-like quality to it. It's kind of like a spoken word thing. It's a very haunting mm-hmm. cinematic song. I, I've, I've often described it as one of my favorite songs of the year and also one of my favorite movies of the year because it, it, mm-hmm. it really does have uh, such a cinematic quality uh, in the writing of it. Um, well, Craig is my neighbor, um, so the next time I see him jogging around our block, I will tell him that you like it. <laughs> tell him I like it. Well, he's been on my podcast, and we talked when he had just, I think, finished that record. And I mm-hmm. know at the time, I've, I, I feel like at the time he was pretty excited for it to come out. And I've talked with him a bit 
because the record's gotten a really good response from people. It's gotten the best reviews, certainly, of his solo career. And I think even he feels like, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but my sense is that he feels that this is a maybe a turning point for him too, especially since the Hold Steady at this point seems like it's it's basically uh you know an entity that's just, that's just going to be touring occasionally like i don't know mm-hmm. how much they're going to even be recording anymore i mean they're still together but they're definitely in sort of like a a semi hiatus type type uh type uh you know formation or whatever you want to call it um so yeah i don't know i love that record a lot though it's been one of my mainstays of 2017 so uh have you listened to that record at all? Do you have an opinion on that? No, you know what's funny? I, as much as I love uh, Craig, like I was, like the whole study just missed me. Like I, I liked um, Boys and Girls in America, um, but it's one of those bands where like you have to be super devoted to them. And if you're not, you kind of feel like you're on the outside. So I feel like for me to appreciate this record, there's so much back stuff that I have to absorb before I can like fully appreciate the evolution of Craig Finn, you know? See, see I would say the opposite. I think that maybe because you don't oh, have that baggage. Yeah, I think maybe you would like it more or it might be easier for you to get into because you don't have that baggage. I think sometimes people, like I could see people who love those early Hold Steady records so much not liking it because it it's not like those records, especially musically. You know what, how they're one of those bands who you feel like you're not liking them properly like I, I sit there and I listen and I like Craig's voice and I think he's a great songwriter but like I don't have that like mega fan uh hold steady background so I right. feel like I'm not appreciating it like hard enough or something like that yeah I, I mean, have that like hold steady guilt whenever I listen to one of Craig's records yeah I mean I think yeah they are a band where the super fans are, are can be overbearing but you know you gotta lock you gotta just block that out I mean it's, yeah yeah okay I, uh, I'll, I'll listen to it with as he said, queer eyes, full hearts, or whatever. <laughs> all right, man. Well, hey, I think we've covered all of our favorite records, and I know that we both have more that we could talk about, but we've already talked for a while here, so it might be a good time to wrap up. Sure. But uh, I'm so glad you could come on, man, and I'm so glad you could come on and plug your podcast. <laughs> yes, which hopefully will we'll air when, when people are hearing this. And uh, as the Lester Bangs of the 21st century, I, I just want to say I hope you aren't abusing cough syrup or uh, anything to that effect or, or getting into shouting matches with Lou Reed. You know, because, uh, no, uh, just Father John Missy. <laughs> okay. Fair enough, man. Well, hey, Dan, thanks again, man. Oh, thanks for having me on. All right, take care. All right, that was my episode with Dan Ozzy talking about our favorite records of 2017. Um, I'm actually going to be writing about this on uprocks.com later this week and uh i'll be talking about more records than i was able to talk about in this episode i was only able to talk about like five of my favorites my story will probably have well at least 10 and then i'll probably have like a honorary mention list (laughs) so if you found some good suggestions listening to this episode i I suggest you checking out that story later this week on uprocks.com there'll be a lot more great suggestions uh, to put into your ear holes. <laughs> uh, before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors uh, for this week's episode. Uh, it was SeatGeek, Harry's, and Blue Apron. We had three sponsors this episode. We've never had three sponsors before. Um, but, you know, that just speaks to the support that we're, that we're getting from you guys, our listeners. Um, and I just want to thank you again for listening, uh, for talking about the show, for, for leaving us reviews on iTunes, all of these things. And also patronizing... Our sponsors, you know, if, if you weren't going to our sponsors, we wouldn't be getting sponsorships. 
Uh, these are all things that help keep the show going. So thank you guys so much for your support. Thanks for listening. We really do have the best listeners in the podcast universe, and I'm very appreciative of that. Um, guys, thanks again. Uh, we will talk to you soon again here on Celebration Rock. Take care.